You're listening to Grassroots, www.innovationstudios.com. I'm Marcus, it is another week, and here we are on the 2nd of April, and it's Good Friday, and I hope that you're not too full of hot cross buns to have a listen in. It's been a good week. Um, I want to start by thanking everybody who tuned in to my um, set um, last week, it was last Wednesday, but I've not, uh, didn't get a chance to uh, thank everybody for tuning into my live set. It does me good to um, stream. It, you know, you need to have a target. I give myself a target, give myself something to work towards, and I think um, it's so easy in this current climate for, for people like myself to get lazy and to think, well, you know, look, there's not going to be a show for a couple of months, I don't need to do anything, but, you know, you've got to do something about it, and... Um, For those of you who know um, out there, the WWE have a a character called The Undertaker. And um, for about the last five years, he's retired now, but for the last five years, he's had sort of one match a year. And that was at like the big um, wrestling event, WrestleMania. And um, other than that, the rest of the year, he hasn't really been involved that much. But every year around that time, he starts putting the big ones in. And the truth of it is he doesn't have to. You know, and it's like, I don't have to, and people at my level, I don't have to, because, you know, I could get through and I could probably do a fairly good job. But in his case, he wants to be the best he can. He has to put the work in away from the stage. And for me, I've had to put the work in away from the stage. I've carried on with my weight loss uh, program. For the ladies out there, I'm just cutting my calories down, all right? At the moment, I'm at uh, 12 pounds. I've lost 12 pounds. Um, I want to carry on going, I want to carry on doing it, I want to carry on exercising and walking, although today um, was slightly different, didn't have to do a walk today because um, my son's over and uh, I've had the bouncy castle out and I've had uh, the cricket bats out and I've had the footballs out and I've had the pool table out in the garden and I've, I tell you what, it's all been going on, so if I sound a little bit tired, it's, uh, there's a good reason for that and the reason is I am tired. So let's get on with your questions. Uh, I had some questions again from you, some of you lovely people out there. The first question comes from Adrian. And Adrian says, Hi Marcus, I still use Cakewalk Home Studio 9. It gives me everything I need. Do you remember it and have you ever used it? I just wondered how I change instruments on the MIDI tracks. Um, I do remember it, Adrian. It's about 20 years old now. Um, and I think it's really been uh, pretty much uh, obsolete for a while. But yeah, I still believe it or not. As I talk to you now, I'm um, yeah, I'm just clicking on my um, desktop, and yes, I still do have it installed. Um, and I keep it just because sometimes it's easy to mix the mid, the old midis and things like that to change the sounds on the midis. Um, you have to go into the individual track, highlight it, and then you find um, there's like uh, Wave Synth and there's a couple of other little things on there. Um, I'm hoping that I may be able to just click on it now as I talk to you and just to see if I can um, tell you exactly what you need to what you need to do. But on each of the tracks, um, there are I mean, there are things like uh, I think it's wave synth but there are other things like that like rolling and things like that and then you have to know the channels usually channel 10 is drums so if you set it to sort of channel 10 then it will be drums but any of the other channels up to that um will be 
um, other instruments, pianos and things like that. Now, there are some that stick out really, really well. And when you scroll down on, uh, I think it's Roland synth, um, when it comes into instrument, then you might be able to find uh, bass. I think it's finger bass, which is a really, really nice bass line. And uh, I think bright piano is quite good. Acoustic piano is quite good. Hammond organ is quite good. Some of the strings, strings one and strings two are quite good. Things like violins and clarinets and stuff like that. It's very much a, much of a muchness. But um, you do that by just clicking on the track, go into the properties and see if you can change it to um, Roland or uh, I think there's another one as well um, where you can just change the, the MIDI uh, console. I mean, I'm well out of practice with it, but I used to use it a lot um, a good sort of 10, 15 years ago. That little beep was it opening, believe it or not. Um, so I'm just opening it now just to see what uh, it has. Yeah, I mean, it. it's just, looking back on it now, it was straight, state of the art when it came out 20 years ago. More than that, I think. And now it seems a very simple program in, in these days of Sonar and Traction and Pro Tools and uh, obviously Logic Pro and stuff like that on the Mac. Um, but I, I must say some of my early demos and whatever, and when the band were first together, we'd get together and, um, record some stuff on it. And yeah, I just found Pro Audio 9 to be pretty good. It was, it was, I, I did some recording on it. I think the last time I did any recording on it was probably six, seven years ago. Um, but I liked the fact you could program the drums and, uh, then on the drums, you could kind of, uh, separate each of the tracks. So you, you were able to have the snare separately to the kick drum and then you could pan them all separately. And, um, so it was a very, very good, um, program. Um, but, uh, unfortunately, like everything else, you know, um, something comes along that's better, something comes along that's better and, and it just moves along and, uh, and it kind of gets left behind. But I always found it to be a pretty useful bit of kit and yes I do remember it I do remember programming some drums on it and I do remember recording um some early demos on it um it was a it was a lovely bit of kit um Adrian and uh yeah and I do remember it and I may use it again just for the crack I like to do this sometimes to just see if I can even if it's just to make some demos on just to use a different thing because I think you know if you use different different recording techniques sometimes different recording programs you get slightly different results and sometimes it's just uh it's nice to see what happens with it but uh, yes i remember it and yes i still have it and that's how you change the instruments on the midi tracks aaron says hi aaron is from where does it say norwich oh norwich we play um or we played oh what's the name of the place um Oh, it won't come to me now. I think we played... The, the, there's one round the back that's called the B2, but we played the the main bit with a, a, a support... Uh, we supported a band, a covers band, uh, called, called Pure Passion, who were voted the number one covers band in, in the late 90s, and we played some shows there, and that was... Uh, I'm sure that was in Norwich. Um, anyway, sorry. Uh, Aaron from Knowledge. Hi, Marcus. I am dyslexic, and I noticed on karaoke tracks... Certain colours are better than others in terms of picking them up. Have you seen or heard of this before? Um, yeah, I assume you mean, um, Aaron, by picking them up, I mean you, you mean how quickly you, you pick them up, pick up the words and you don't stumble over them or you don't lose where you are. 
Um, I have heard of this and I have seen it and I have uh, with my own eyes. Um, I have a friend of mine, uh, Steve May, who actually is one of the um, one of the interviews that I originally did on the Grassroots podcasts way back in 2016. And Steve is the Elton John, an Elton John tribute. I don't think he does that much these days. I think he's pretty much retired. But at that time, he was pushing and starting to get some work. And um, he said to me one night, we were working, and um, I said to him, I've noticed that you change every colour. Why'd you do that? And he told me. He said, I just, I'm able to process it that little bit quicker. Um, so, yes, I have heard of it. And uh, it's not unusual. It's, you know, it's. Um, quite a common thing and I, and I and subsequently I spoke to a few people about it and they said yeah that's true you know some some people if they have dyslexia find that writing in let's say for argument's sake in uh, or reading red ink on a on a yellow background they they're, they're able to process it a little bit quicker they now that's it seems like a very very strange thing to stumble across but actually, apparently, it's a very common um, thing. And, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of truth in that. And, and uh, yeah, I have come across it. Um, and I do have two or three friends that suffer with that. Um, and they all tell me the same thing, that, yes, there are certain things. I always feel like, I don't know whether it's true or not, but I always wonder these days if there is a Kindle app or a reading app on your phone that changes the text or changes the background. I mean, if if there isn't, then maybe there should be. Um, I could have cornered the market here. I mean, I could be worth a fortune now. Somebody might take this idea and go, that's a good idea. But it does seem to me that somebody needs to invent some sort of um, Kindle app uh, for reading um, books that has certain colours. And then, obviously, the, the comprehension and the process... We'll be a little bit quicker with with uh, those of you who uh, who are dyslexic, um, and uh, yeah, it's a very very common thing. Um, so if you're finding that you're struggling with that and you're able to change the colours on some of the backing tracks, and I think you are in in most cases, I think you are able to do it. Um, try that um, as an option. It might just help you. Uh, so yeah, didn't expect to hear that on podcast from some little bloke in Hadley, did you? But that's the truth. It's true. Need help setting up your own home studio? Why not book a consultation online? Here at Innovation Studios, we can help and advise on the best equipment for you, your ideas, your budget, and your space. Maybe even book a home visit. We can help you set up, install, and use your software, offering a recording workshop in your very own studio in your very own home, going through techniques and offering advice and guidance to get you up and running. Go to www.innovationstudios.com for further information. Leslie. And Leslie is from Thaxted. Is that Thaxted? Yes, it is Thaxted. Hi, Marcus. I just wondered, do you have periods of writing like you switch it on and off? And I wondered how far you plan ahead with your next album. Hi, Leslie. Um, it... it it's kind of one of those um, things for me because at the moment, as, as we approach, uh, shameless plug, okay, but as I, as I approach the release date for the fourth um, album by The Matching, which is Lonely in a Crowded Room, 
and I keep I keep having a release date, and then I put it back another month. I've got a couple of things I need to tie up on it. I've got a couple of loose ends. I've got a couple of uh, guest appearances that I need I need them to come in and do some vocal on it for me, and it's proving a little bit difficult. Um, but I find that um, it's very nice for me to be able to switch it off and to be able to now and again just not think about writing any songs. Um, and uh, when, I, when I'm thinking about the album, I, I kind of... T- I'll, I'll answer your second question first, and that is how far do I plan ahead? I always... I already have a title for the 2022 release. I already have a title for it, and I only have one song that's demoed pretty well, and that's going to be on it, and one that's a half demo, which I'm not sure. Um, but... I, the album is going to be called Midnight for One Second, and that's going to be... And I already have the artwork for it. I, I put the time in because I feel like at least I've got a mission statement or something that I see now and again and I work towards. In the last three years, since the Storm Before the Calm album, this album, uh, the last album, 20 Forever, and this album, has pretty much been the first... 10 songs that came to me that were of any use at all. You know, sometimes you'll, you'll always sing little bits. And I know there are people out there who say, well, I wrote 60 songs for this album and I only cho- chose the best 10. And I, I and I feel like I would, I would rather spend the time, if I feel the song isn't going to be on the album, isn't that strong, then I'll, I'll just kick it into touch straight away. And I feel like it will come round again at some point. I may not recognise it, but it will come round again. And I trust that. Um so I, I'm already planning and I've already got the artwork and I've already got a strong idea of how the next album uh, will look. Um, and uh, I also um, have, like I say, I have a couple of songs for it. So I'm, uh, it just keeps me um, working, moving forwards. But I won't start writing for that um, until I'd, I didn't start writing for that until I'd finished all of the recording for Lonely in the Crowded Room. And at the moment, I have a song and a half. So I've still got eight and a half songs to find. And and, uh, I've talked about this before, but to just very briefly touch on what I said before, I always find that I like my albums to be less than 45 minutes, 10 songs. Um, I just have this thing about that. Uh, And uh, if a song is too good and, and, and I don't think anything is precious enough that it needs to appear on the album. I think it can be saved and put and appear on the next album and be the first song of the next album. I don't really feel that anything is precious enough. Um, you know, that I find the 10 songs, I have my 10 songs and that's it. And anything else that I write will appear on the next album and that's kind of end of story. But growing up, I always believed that an album should fit on one side of a cassette. And that way you could, your mate would bring you a cassette in and you'd have two albums on it. You know, of course, it was all done legally and you owned the original CD as well. But um, sometimes somebody would say, no, I've got two albums for you. We recorded it from vinyl and they'd stick, uh, you know, an album on one side, an album on the other side. But I always found that found that the albums that were like an hour long, you ended up with a whole side of tape that was like 10 minutes. It was just like the, like the missing two tracks from side one, you know. Um, so I like my albums to be around 45 less than 45 minutes and 10 songs and I plan a year in advance um in terms of periods of writing um I can switch it on and off yeah I I feel like I mean after I recorded um 20 forever 
Um, I didn't have anything. I, I already had, I mean, I already had Lonely in a Crowded Room because I'd been working on that. And then I had the album 20 Forever and I thought, this has got to be released first. So I switched it off for a while and I thought, no, I've got my 10 songs for Lonely in a Crowded Room. And um, and then, you know, I pretty much had them. And then there was one instance of a song that I wrote that came to me and I thought, no, that can be, that's going to be on the album as well because it just fits, it fits in well with the other 10 songs. And there was one I wasn't sure about, so that went. Um, so I've kind of broken my own rule there, but I hadn't really, because I hadn't really demoed it. It was still in the planning phase. Um, and it's okay to have, you know, 12 or 13 songs and choose the best 10, but don't go right in 60, you know. Um, so I was able to switch it off um, for a while, Leslie, and and to just not think about it. And it, it's a very nice position to be in where you're able to, you know, sit back and think, um, you know, where the matching was concerned. Because I I do, I am still writing songs in different genres. I'm still working uh, with Arthur. We're still um, planning on getting together um, this uh, next month, this month now, um, and finishing the recording of the Men of Earth album, which is Lean Into the Lavender, and that will be coming out very, very soon. As soon as we've done a recording and the mixing for that, then we're going to set a release date and get that out. And that's very country and very folk and very um, old school. Um, so, you know, that's a different different style for me. And also I've been writing some songs with some uh, people I work with who I've encouraged them to do it. And I'm going to uh, mention Jane uh, personally, um, who's a friend of mine. And um, it's just a case of I always say to people, look, you've, you, you've learned how to play an instrument. How about learning how to be creative? See if you can come up with some ideas. See if you can come up with some with a song. See if you can write something. Because I, I, love, I love that. You know, from, from my point of view... Um, What's the point of teaching somebody to play an instrument if they're never going to be creative with it or or learn anything on it or, or write anything new? I just feel like, you know, singing and, and music and, and creating music and songwriting is so important that everybody really should be encouraged once you can play an instrument fairly proficiently Everybody should be encouraged to write a song, do something with the chords that you have, do something with the ideas that you have, do something with, you know, this new skill. So without a shadow of a doubt, um, people should be encouraged to do that. And I mentioned, Jane, because we've been working on a few ideas just um, so that she has something that she's able to keep that. You know, she created herself. We, we we created together, and we so we have a couple of demos and things like that. I don't, don't think there's going to be an album in it or anything like that. I don't think, but it's it's good for her. And I'm going to mention John Wegstaff as well. John is a friend of mine. We've been friends for 25 years at least, I think. Um, and I've I've worked with John on and off for a few years. I was part of the Room 67 days when uh, the band were playing some shows around uh, Essex. Um, and uh, I was able, instrumental, I feel, I feel in, in helping them to build a set and put things together and stuff like that, and it was fun, Re really, really good fun to do, and I loved it. Um, and then he suddenly said to me in the summer of last year, look, I've got some ideas and I'd like to write a song, and I was over, over the moon. 
So we now have uh, four or five songs that we're working on. Um, and uh, we have some good demos and we have a, a particular sound for, you know, for, for our songs. And um, I, I, I'm really happy with how it sounds. And I, I don't think I'm talking out a term when I say that he seems really happy um, about how they're turning out. And it's good for him. It's good creative creativity. It's good to have ideas. It's good to, to learn how these things are done. It's no, it's no different to, to owning a car and learning about the mechanics of it, or, or you know, it, it, if you if you want to listen to music and, and learn about music, then learn how to write something, or you know, we all start somewhere. We all start with a couple of little ideas, and it might come to nothing. But if we don't try, we're never going to know. So I've lost the train of thought a little bit, uh, Leslie. But yeah, there are times when I'm able to switch it off, and when I can switch it off. I know I'm not going to touch it for a, a good couple of weeks. I know it's not, I'm not going to suddenly sit here and think, oh, I've got an idea, because I'm able to switch it off. I don't know where the tap is, where the stopcock is, but I'm, I'm able these days to say, I've got my songs for this album, that's my line, I'm done. And I'm going to make this album, and then maybe uh, two or three months into the recording of this album, then I'll start every so often just doodling between here and there, get get a few things written down and and see what happens. And I tell you what, just there's the question that uh, why I'm on this subject. I had a question from Ruby, and Ruby's in Hemel Hempstead, and Ruby said, "Have you ever written ten titles down before anything was written?" And, and Ruby means that basically, you know, like I designed the album cover. Ruby has asked if I write 10 titles down. I don't always write 10, but sometimes I I might have four or five ideas for a title and then the song will write itself. And, and I'll let you into a little secret. Um, there's a, the song that's gone... Already I know it's going to open the next album. The song that's going to open the next album um, was basically... Uh, I, I was messing about with uh, dadgad tuning and i wrote a song and it's the first time i'd ever experimented with it and the song is called don't ask don't get anything done and the reason i've called it don't ask don't get anything done for those of you sharp enough is that that is dadgad so i've kind of taken that and it, there's a little nod to the tuning there um so it, it kind of, i kind of wrote the title based on you know what i was what i was playing and where i was but I have written a few titles down there and again. I have had the idea. And, I, and certainly album titles, they come to me way before everything else. Live Here, Die Here, uh, Storm Before the Calm. I mean, Live Here, Die Here was uh, a quote by Lemmy from Motorhead. And somebody had said, you know, he said, this is your studio, Live Here and Die Here. Um, Storm Before the Calm seemed like such an obvious thing, an obvious play on words, and yet nobody else had an album with that title. I was really surprised. 20 Forever was, was a nod to 2020, and I knew it was going to be that. Um, Lonely in a Crowded Room, again, uh, although it's a, it sounds like a common expression, I couldn't find another album that had that title. Midnight for One Second came from uh, Ned who I teach, and Ned is Ned's about 11, I think, and about a year ago, uh, Ned Domakin. About a year ago, he said to me, do you know it's only midnight for one second? And, uh, and I like the idea of it being an album title, so I've got that as, a, as an album title, and I've written down titles before, sometimes I have an idea for, for a song or whatever, but um, 
Yeah, I, I usually plan. I'm about a year ahead, Leslie, and that, that does me a lot of good. Thanks for your question. Edmund. And Edmund is from South Green. And Edmund says, hi, Marcus, how do you tune a mandolin? Edmund, you tune a mandolin. Um, if you play guitar already, you tune the, the four bottom strings, but the other way around. But basically, on a mandolin, what you're looking to do is the highest string... So let's grab my mandolin. Your highest string here. This one here. So your highest string here should be an E. Then your second string should be an A. Third string should be a D. And your fourth string should be a G. That way round. Okay, so it's effectively the bottom four strings of a guitar, but the other way round. Um, that's how you tune a mandolin. Um, yeah, I, I, I did have a question a couple of weeks ago about a ukulele, but um, ukulele is slightly different, and I'll go into detail on that on, a, on a, maybe on another podcast if I can find the question. I'd love to say that it got lost because I get inundated, but. Uh, it just got lost because I probably just put it in a recycle bin by mistake and I can't find it now. But um, that's how you tune a mandolin. It is the other way around to the last four strings of a guitar. So technically, it is G, D, A, E, starting from the uh, from the top string down. Starting from the highest string will be an E. Next string up towards you will be an A. Next string up towards you will be a D. Next string up towards you will be a G. Okay. Corin. And Corinne is from Stanfordly Hope. Corinne said, hi, Marcus. When I'm recording my little demos at home in my in my woman cave, <laughs> should I double track my guitars? Um, I, I don't know, Corinne, is the honest answer. And I know that's a cheap get out. But um, I think I always try to double track them and then take off what I don't need. Because, uh, but I think sometimes the power of music doesn't always come from how big the guitars sound. You know, it's not a case of putting 27 guitars on the track to make it sound bigger. It's a case of getting more of a kick drum, more of a snare, bigger, bigger bass line. You know, it's, it's how the music's played that, that gives it the power sometimes. It's not always um, as simple as the, um, you know, so many guitars give it the power. So I, I, would, I would double track them. And then take if if you've got maybe two guitars on, then sometimes it's nice to double track the rhythm guitar, um, or double track one of the guitars, and then single track the other guitar, and put the second guitar, which is only one track, sort of somewhere in the middle, maybe panned left or right ever so slightly, and put the double tracked guitar, obviously lower in the mix, but far left and far right, so the rhythm is nice and big, um, kind of surrounding the sound. And then the main guitars in the middle. Sometimes that works quite well. But if you've got two guitars on a track, you shouldn't have to double track um, both guitars because you've got four guitars on a track and it's there's a lot going on. Um, so sometimes maybe mic it with a couple of mics and then split the signal left and right. But that's that's uh, that won't make a difference in terms of how the song is played or where the guitars are. If you double track something, it's like when you listen to John Lennon when he used to double track his vocal. 
the idea of double tracking is that the, you sing again over the top of what you just played and you have that slight delay. You never quite get that when you record it with two mics. You just get the same because it's absolutely instant. There's no, there's no delay at all. Um, but I've talked about this before, that sometimes you can play the same thing, then you can just play it through once, duplicate the track, pan it left and right, and then on one of the tracks, just move it slightly behind. I mean, a gnats, that's the professional terminology, a gnats. Just move it ever so slightly so it sounds like it's on a slight delay. There was a pedal that a friend of mine, Matt, in Oasis had, Matt Straker, and Matt had a pedal. Lots of people had a pedal, but the only reason I mentioned him is because he brought it around, and it was called a Mimic, M-I-M-I-Q. And you play your guitar through it, and and this pedal would send two signals, which would be a, a feed of your live guitar and then a feed of another guitar that was a fraction behind and it was supposed to thicken up the sound. And I'll tell you what it did. And a lot of bands, particularly the real heavy metal bands like Slayer and uh, Judas Priest and some of the real heavy guitar bands, um, some of the real metal bands as well, Sacred Reich and uh, probably Maiden, but ACDC as well, um, quite often have certainly a plethora of amps running, a lot of different amps and a lot of different sounds running at once. Um and I think sometimes the metal bands, the heavy metal bands, real metal, real proper stuff, um, sometimes have this slight signal delay to make the guitars thicker and just to make them bigger. I mean, uh, I don't know if they use a mimic pedal, but certainly they use different, uh, a splitter. So the guitar goes in and then maybe that, that channel is split three or four ways through four different amps. Maybe maybe it's slightly different delays, like very, very hardly hardly discernible, but just makes the, the sound that that much thicker so if you're looking for a big thick uh sound then um corin then then double track the guitars but really um i think uh, sometimes if the guitar is recorded nicely and played nicely and drives along on its own doesn't need to be double tracked really um doesn't need to to have any any more on it it needs to be there to be to be honest with you amy says and amy's from luton Amy says, hi, Marcus, I wondered how difficult it was for you making the transition of being the front man of a band to being the lead guitarist of a band and not singing. Um, hello, Amy. Yeah, uh, the, the, the transition you're referring to is, of course, being the front man of Waterwall and becoming the lead guitarist of Colour Kinesis. Um, I loved it. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I loved it because I didn't have to sing. I loved it because I could be the guitar player and I didn't have to be responsible for the output. I could just relax, enjoy the gig didn't have to think about it didn't have to worry about it um and for the first time in any band i'd ever been in i could focus on just playing the guitar and just what i could do with the guitar and i really enjoyed it and i think it was nice for the other members of the band because they realized that you know on, on any given night if if they weren't feeling it they had somebody who was able to front it i never had to i never i never had to step in um but it wasn't that difficult at all. It was very easy, and I never felt I had to show off or do anything too, you know, too too busy or too over the top because the songs were strong, the the um, recordings that we made were strong, and I enjoyed just being able to sit back and and just be the guitar player and not be the focal point, just to be the man on the left as you looked at the stage. I didn't have to front anything, um, so it was a very easy transition and. Uh, Although in the early stages of the band, I spoke to Steve and I said, look, if you want me to sing, I'm happy to sing. And But to his credit, he said to me, it'll be too wall-to-wall if you do that. It, it, it won't be 
what it needs to be and they were his songs and he wanted to sing them and I had absolutely no problem at all with that. I loved it um, and I enjoyed not having to sing and not having to front it. I could just relax and chill out. So I had a lot of fun doing it. But uh, thanks for your question, Amy, and I'm glad, actually, that you remember us. Ever wanted to play guitar? 10-minute tutorials. Now on YouTube, Beginner's Guitar. Marcus takes you through the early stages, tuning, basic chords, and strum patterns to start you on your journey. Further information, go to www.innovationstudios.com. Um, Larry. <clears throat> Larry is from Leon C. God, blimey, Larry, you should have just posted it. Um, hi, Marcus. How important is it to keep tweaking and experimenting with your sound live and in the studio? Um, I think it's important, Larry, but then there's there are two sides to the argument. One side is if you get something that you know works for you, i.e. status quo, ACDC, um, you know, then, then you feel like they don't really deviate from the plan because they know what they're going to do, they know what they're going to use. But I think live... We're, you're always looking to play the perfect gig, but you never you never do. Because if you ever play the perfect gig, you're either lying to yourself or it's time to quit. So the fact that you're always searching for the perfect gig means you're always tweaking. You're always looking. But I think you're always looking to get a similar sound. If, you, if you're happy with what you have, you're looking to get the same thing with maybe slightly less equipment. And, and as what we found is as time evolved and as... Um, music equipment evolved with the time we were able to get exactly what we had from so much less equipment we weren't necessarily after too much more but we were after the same thing from less equipment and we found that by using things like the Mackie thumps uh speakers which are absolutely like bulletproof really take kick drum and everything through um we we found we were able to get a really kicking great sound that Maybe it took seven or eight speakers, big big uh, JBLs or I think they're IBLs in the in the mid nineties to get that same amount of sound. So as technology improved, we had to use less and less of it to get the result that we that we wanted, uh, Larry. But it's important that you do try and tweak stuff, and you do try and move things forward. I've I've made four albums with the matching, and I've made each one of them in a different way with slightly different equipment, maybe with slightly different uh, drum patterns or drum tracks or, or whatever. And, and Matt Hetching put some drums on for the first two albums. But the, the third album was done um, with um, uh, MT Power drum kit and that, that was used with traction. And then this new album has been, been done with hydrogen drums, although um, Ryan, Ryan from uh, Firesky, Ryan Sandham, did play on the original demos and I took a lot of his drums um, and his drum ideas from those and put them on. So he's going to get a mention in terms of his influences, but uh, because of the, the lockdown and because of the situation, we haven't been able to get together um, to record uh, Ryan's drums and it's been difficult to, um, yeah, to get together. But also 
I wanted to get this album out there because it's been hanging around for a couple of years now and I kind of left it in the background while I focused on the new one. So anyway, that's enough about that. But but it's important to keep trying to tweak things, Larry. It's important to keep trying to find because uh, new, new ideas, new techniques, new recording techniques, maybe new acoustics that make a certain sound. And I'm over the moon. I'm over the moon because I finally tracked down an Echo acoustic guitar. Now, Echo were not... When they were made in the, in the early 70s, weren't that fantastic. But because the woods matured and everything, they just sound amazing. And I have a mate of mine, Reese, who um, bought one in the other day for me and said, there you go. Um, I know you've been looking for one and I've got you one. I was like, really? You know, wow. Um, so I've been playing that for a while and, and that will appear on the album. But I have a guitar that's an old Hona Countryman that was bought for me for, a, a, my brother bought it for me in about 1995. So it's 26 years old. Um, and it's been used for everything, lessons and everything. But micing it up just sounds amazing. Sounds better than, you know, my Ibanez acoustics, my Palm Bay acoustic, my Fender acoustic. Just sounds great. And to be fair, Arthur played on this, uh, his, his guitars that he used on this album. He was using his Martins and stuff like that. And I mic'd mine up and I just said, it just still sounds okay. It just stands up against everything. So, you know, they, there you are. But um, it's important that you're always moving forwards, even if it's not in songwriting sense. Uh, it's important for me that I'm always tweaking I'm always, I mean, if if you take it out of that context, Larry, not even the equipment, I'm always tweaking and experimenting with how I teach, my teaching methods. Because of the lockdown, I've only been able to teach online. And that is inclu- that really has improved my teaching methods because I've had to explain things in a completely different way as opposed to just sort of, in some cases, grabbing your finger and putting it on the right string. It's like, oh, that, that needs to go there, that one goes here and... Because you haven't got that instant feedback, you you have to find different ways of explaining it. And I've been, a, I think, although my, my pupils would probably strongly disagree, but I think I've been a better tutor for uh, the lockdown because I've had to explain things in a different way. And I have another gentleman that I work with, Peter, uh, Peter Chipperfield, and he plays mandolin and Peter's a sight reader. And my sight reading is not that great, but I've had to adapt and I've had to get better. You see, this is important. This is a point that, I want, that, I've, that I've wanted to make for some weeks, actually. Um, and I always get waylaid. I have a deep love of music and a very, very deep passion for music. And it's a good job that I have that because without that, I would be pretty lazy. I would be pretty much... You know, I'd say, okay, I've got, you know, I'll, I'll be there Monday and I think, no, you know, I can't be bothered today and I'll, or I'll be there on, you know, get get together with somebody and say, oh, I can't get there on Tuesday. But because of that deep love and that deep burning passion that I have deep down, that's what makes me do it. And that's why um, when it comes to sight reading and things like that, I'm determined that when I come out of lockdown, I'm going to be better than I was. Because otherwise there's no point in going back into music again. I want to keep evolving. I want to keep moving forwards. I want to keep being the best I can. I don't want to be someone who just doesn't care. I don't want to be someone who doesn't, Larry, tweak stuff. I don't want to be someone who doesn't experiment with new techniques, new songs, new ideas. 
this is the point of me doing and playing the show the shows online the stream shows i don't get any money for them i don't really get an awful lot of huge huge feedback but i get enough but the truth of it is if i don't do them i don't set myself any targets i don't set myself i don't give myself a reason to move forwards and i want to keep moving forwards because i know there's going to be a day where the voice eventually isn't there anymore I know there's going to be the day where the body doesn't give me what I want it to give me. And I know there's probably going to be a day when the arthritis is going to kick in and I won't be able to play guitar. But you know what? Why I can, Larry, why I can, I'm going to. And I'm going to just give it the best shot I can. When we come out of this lockdown, the one the one project that I do that I'm going to probably do the most is going to be the Oasis Tribute. And I am working hard to get my weight right down i want to get my weight off i want to be fit i want to be ready to go because if i'm not then i'm not true to that burning passion that i've got deep inside without it i would be lazy i would sit on the chair and i would eat biscuits and i would flick through youtube and i would do nothing what drives me on is things that people doubt if you can do them or not people wonder if you're going to come out and i wonder am i going to come out at the other side of this will i be as good when i come out do you know what stopping short just short of dying for it that that's where i am i stop just short of i would die for music i absolutely love it i absolutely live it i breathe it and it's everything to me and when people um don't really get that there's no way of explaining it to the singers out there that are performing on facebook and uh you know on live streams and stuff like that you're not doing it for ego you're not doing it because you want people to talk about you you're doing it because you want to you're doing it because you care you're doing it because you're trying to stay in the game and we're trying to stay in the game and that's what that's all i'm trying to do same as everybody else but the people that begrudgingly or whatever but the people that know me the people that admire me the people that talk to me the people that respect my opinion the people that tune into this podcast the people that ask me the questions the people that bought my albums the people that come to my shows the people that that have asked me for autographs although I don't know why the people who bring their kids to meet me because they've heard the podcast and they want them the, 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 the people who want to talk to me I'm letting them all down if I don't do the best I can, if I don't pick myself up and if I don't get myself fit and if I go out there being a shadow of what I was beforehand, I refuse for that to happen. I would not let that happen. And I know I've gone on a rant, but anybody that worries about whether or not I care about what I do, anybody that ever wonders about whether or not I care about what I do, I would give everything for it. It's the only time in my life that I'm fearless. If somebody said they want me to stand on the top of a jumbo jet and play a solo because it looked really cool on a video, I would do it. Now, I wouldn't do that in any other time, but with a guitar, when it comes to music, because I think it's worth it. The highest highs are worth the lowest lows. And people who, who take a little knock back sometimes, you take a knock back and sometimes you don't feel it. Some people don't feel it. Some people don't always... You know, you, you, you wonder sometimes if it's for you. You have to remember that people like myself, people at the level that we're at, and there are, there, there are millions of us 
have had the disappointment of maybe being rang on Friday night by Polydor to say, we want to give you a two-album deal. And you, you all get together and you're chatting with a lad and you're dancing around the living room thinking we've got a two-album deal and you get a phone call on a Saturday to say, no, my PR shouldn't, shouldn't have, uh, the PA, uh, a PR man shouldn't have told you that because we're not looking at you. We've got somebody else come along. You were one of three and we've gone with another one. And in the space of 24 hours, your dreams have been not even shattered. They've been turned to ashes in front of your eyes until you've gone on a train to meet somebody, a representative from Decker or Warner Brothers. And in order to, to come to get there, to try and sell what you do, because they're a little bit interested in you and you end up coming home on the train with nothing in your pocket and no record deal because they weren't interested in what you had to say and you or you wouldn't play ball with them or they you wouldn't go on tour for a year and make a load of money for them and nothing for yourself and you weren't prepared to necessarily do that so you come back so when people take a knockback in this business there's always people that get dropped by record companies you get dropped by managers i've had things that no, forget the pandemic forget the pandemic okay this has been terrible dreadful but we have had people at my level, and I'm not the only one. I know there's people out there. You've had a phone call over the weekend, and your agent has gone bust. Or he's retired, or he's died, or whatever. And all of a sudden, all of the 200 shows that you might have in for the next 18 months are gone. And all that happens is another agent comes along and snaps them up, and you can't get them. And in the space of 24 hours, you've lost 150 shows at maybe 150 quid. And I don't want to do the maths, but that's a lot of money. But we have to find a way of picking ourselves up. We have to find a way of bouncing back. And we have to find a way of continuing to do what we do. And it comes from a deep love of music. Don't tell me that you love music unless you love it. It's right in your soul. It is right down inside. And any time you enjoy it will be worth the hundred times that you don't. There are times when you have to do it. There are times when you have to play the dog and duck on a Friday night to a load of people who want to sing on your mic. But there are plenty of times when you get to meet a couple of kids afterwards and give them a plectrum and they might want to, you know, just say, can you sign my T-shirt? Because they don't know you're not Liam and Noel or whatever. But you get to chat to people and you get to inspire people and you get to, to meet people from all walks of life. It's the best job in the world and I'm bloody proud of it. And I continue, Larry, to tweak and to experiment with the techniques I have, with the PA I use, with the, with the teaching methods I have. But also I continue to tweak and experiment and to grow as a musician, as a teacher, as somebody that people can admire. And I hope that you can admire what I do. I don't care if you do or you don't, all right? But I hope that you can at least say, yeah, he's had a 30-year career, you know, and he's done it without the help of a record company, without the help of an agent, really. Not many agents. I've got one or two that I work with. We've done it, we've, we've done it because we cared about music and we could, because we've pushed ourselves up, you know, and taken every opportunity and been good enough to take every opportunity we can. And we've done it, Larry, because we continued to... Tweak and experiment with everything that we do. And that's it. If I've ranted, do you know what? This week, I make no apologies for it. You want to talk music with me? There you are. But it's more than music. It's not a job. It's not something you do for a few quid. 
is something that you live, is something that you breathe, is something that you care about, is something that you would borderline die for when you're at my level and when you care about it. That's it. Anyway, thank you so much for your questions. Um, thank you so much for the time that you give me. Thank you so much for the support that you give me. And thanks very much for tuning in. And I do look at the figures on the, on how many people are listening in, and it does mean a lot to me. Continue to subscribe. Don't forget www.innovationstudios.com to get more information about various courses that we're running, various online lessons. Um, don't forget you can send me an email, innovationstudiosuk at gmail. I'm sure there are other ways via Twitter and things like that. But uh, in the meantime, just look after yourselves. One, one last thing, have a wonderful Easter. Have a great bank holiday. And I'll be back here next Friday. Same, same day, same old me. All right, until I see you then, bye-bye for now.